Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading this morning can be found on page 642 in the Church Bibles. It's Proverbs chapter 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maids, and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Come, eat my food and eat and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Instruct a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will add to his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through me your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. The woman folly is loud. She is undisciplined and without knowledge. She sits at the door of her house, on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of the grave. Thanks be to God. Sorry. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together as we stand. Heavenly Father, we do indeed praise you for your word. Here, may the blind and hungry come and light and food receive. Here shall the humble guest find room and taste and see and live. Father, that is indeed what we long for this morning as you speak to us. Uh, Speak to us uh, that we may know you. Uh, Speak to us that we may have wise hearts before you. Uh, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please take a seat. And we're beginning, as Tim said, our series in uh, Proverbs. And we're in uh, Proverbs chapter 9 today. It's page 642. Uh, of the Church Bibles, page 642, Proverbs 9. And we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 9, verses 1 to 6, and then we're going to be leaping down to uh, verses 13 to 18, and we'll look at the ones in the middle uh, next week. Uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 9. Just as you're finding that, let me ask you, what do you think a life well lived uh, looks like? You know, the good life, the their excellent life, not a life that's just sort of marking time, but uh, life and life to the full. Now, what would such a life uh, look like? Can you picture it? Are you perhaps living it now? Life is full for you, satisfying, uh, right at its peak. Or do you want a life like that? Life and life to the full. It sounds a, a bit like a dream, the stuff of a, a fiction novel or a Hollywood movie, but it's not. It is indeed what we were made for. It is what the God who made and loves you is committed to giving you life and life to the full. That is what he said he came to do, the Lord Jesus. 
And so this morning in Proverbs, we will see how we can have such a life. But we will also see how easy it is to miss out on life altogether. Now, Proverbs is going to reveal uh, those things to us. So whether you have a life, uh, actually in the end, depends on where you live. And where you live depends on whose voice you are heeding. Now that's the picture before us in Proverbs chapter 9. It's a, a picture painted very vividly for us. We, uh, we see it in the form of two houses where we can choose to live. And at the front of those two houses, two hosts uh, inviting us, calling us to make our home with them. And as we'll see, two very different outcomes depending on whether we choose uh, one house or the other. Now the two houses and the two hosts, they are wisdom and folly. And we'll see them in just a moment in our passage. But I think it's important as we embark on this series and embark on this picture of these two houses and these two hostesses, wisdom and folly, that we be clear what we mean by wisdom and folly. First, wisdom. Now, wisdom is a word used a lot in our culture. Wisdom often refers to sort of know-how in some particular area of life. To have wisdom is to have the knack. Uh, Or perhaps sometimes we think of wisdom as someone who is prone to deep and profound thoughts. There is a wise person. But the fact is some of the most able, uh, creative, clever, deep uh, men and women uh, are in Bible terms fools. Now wisdom is not about creative know-how. No, wisdom, true wisdom, that is the wisdom from our God above comes only one way. Now, by revelation. If you've got your Bibles open uh, to Proverbs, uh, flick back to chapter 2, verse 6, and you'll see it there. Tim uh, quoted this verse for us earlier. Here you see where wisdom, uh, the only source of wisdom, comes from. Proverbs 2, verse 6, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Wisdom is a gift from our God. It comes by revelation, and it Uh, as his word the bible is open before us as it is right now hopefully in front of you uh, that is where wisdom is found it is as uh, psalm 119 declares by the unfolding of his word we are given light we are given wisdom a wisdom understanding of life and life to the full can only come by revelation in his word And so that is why this word is so precious to us. That is why we stopped in our service earlier as Graham read that word to us. Because here is wisdom. And especially because of this. Uh, He has spoken this word to us, his wisdom, in many and various ways, Hebrews 1 tells us. Uh, They're captured in scriptures. Here we have a, a picture before us. That's how he speaks it today. But in these last days, we're told in Hebrews, in these last days... He has spoken his wisdom by his glorious son, the Lord Jesus. Now wisdom comes by revelation and wisdom revealed to us is not a concept, not an idea, not an abstraction, but uh, a person. It comes to us revealed as the Lord Jesus Christ, as he comes amongst us, as he lived and died and rose amongst us. He is, as 1 Corinthians declares, the very power of God, the very wisdom of God unveiled to us before our eyes. And it's no more decisively revealed to us than at the very heart of our gospel, that is, his cross. You see, it is at the foot of the cross we have revealed to us the wisdom of God. 
And we have revealed to us there our desperate need of him. And that is where wisdom begins. If you look at uh, Proverbs 9 verse 10, we're told wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, knowing who he is and knowing our dependence on him, seeing him for all he is. He is the Lord, he's king. The king I have rejected, seeing there at the cross his love, seeing that although he is the mighty and powerful creator, out of love he humbled himself, even to death on a cross for our salvation. Now that's where wisdom begins. It is, as we've sung already uh, this morning, behold our God who has felt the nails upon his hand. Our God who uh, bore the guilt of sinful man, God eternal, humble to the grave, Jesus, Saviour, risen now to reign. Behold our God, behold wisdom. And the more his word reveals Christ, who is our wisdom, the more in fearful reverence we will be desperate and dependent on him for all things in life, all things. He's our wisdom for the details of life. He's our wisdom for this afternoon. He's our wisdom for our holidays. He's our wisdom for our work, our family life. And that shouldn't surprise us. And for every square inch of this earth was made by him. Every square inch of this earth, including us, is for him. And every square inch of this earth is held together because he is there. Wisdom is seeing your complete need of Jesus. There's wisdom. How about folly? Well, put simply, folly is to live in this world that he has made as if there is no God. To live as if you are the final governor and arbiter of all things in life. To live as if uh, life and breath and everything else that you have are gifts that you've given yourself. And the scripture declares that such a fool is naive to the realities that have been revealed to us in the life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there they are, wisdom and folly. And they are in uh, Proverbs 9 here, vividly uh, depicted uh, as uh, two women calling us to build our lives, build our houses, the house of our life with them. And so for the next few minutes, let's walk through this scene in Proverbs 9 and uh, see what it is the Spirit of God is teaching us. Uh, firstly, uh, verses 1 to 6, the wisdom that house builds, uh, that, <laughs> the house that wisdom builds and calls us to. Now firstly have a look in verse 1. You see she offers us a place to live. Wisdom has built her house, we're told. She has hewn it out of seven pillars. And what a a strong house it is. Cleaved from solid rock. No flimsy hut here. This is a rock solid house. And given what we've seen uh, uh, that wisdom is, that is the revealed word of God and particularly the revealed word of Jesus, our gospel. Now see here that the life the gospel builds is an incredibly strong life. And I reckon that challenges the culture around us, doesn't it? How easily we accept the charge from our world that the gospel we build our lives on is a flimsy thing, weak. No, it's strong. Ours is a faith not of sort of shadows and dust, of uh, guesses and uh, wishes. No, ours is built on the rock-solid realities of historic faith that we've declared in our creed built on real events that changed our lives forever. And we've declared them this morning. The gospel we build our life on is strong, it's reliable, it can hold up under the weight of examination. It's strong, but also in verse 1, it's perfect. 
You see there those seven pillars. Seven is a sort of the Bible number for something that is complete. It's perfect. There's nothing missing. And as it is with God's revealed wisdom, uh, Proverbs says this, every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. You cannot add to his words. It's perfect. And so we have this perfect and strong place where offered to live. And secondly, she offers us, here you see, verse 3, a place for anyone who would come to live there. And we're told, verse 3, she has sent out her maids and uh, she calls from the highest point of the city. And she wants everyone to come, no one to miss out. And as typical of wisdom, if you read through the book of Proverbs, she's always depicted this way. Uh, she's where people are at. She goes to the heart of things. She calls above the din of this uh, city on the busy streets where people are walking. There's, there's nothing exclusive about wisdom. It's not for the elite, it's for everyone. She's where the people are in the muck of life. And wasn't that as Jesus was too? And once again, I reckon this is a challenge to our culture, but not this time the culture of the world around us, but perhaps our culture as a church. Now, the wisdom of the gospel is not the reserve for the holy huddle. It's for the city. It's to be shared and shared where people are at in the muck of life. That's where Lady Wisdom is. She doesn't wait for people to come to church. She goes out. She sends out the maids inviting people. She's at the workplaces. She's at the school gates. She's in the midst of families. And there she is, you see there, in the public square where the city is run and how things are decided that the city will work. And I reckon that's a challenge to us, isn't it? To hold our ground in the public square, to not be fearful that the wisdom we have, which is not our wisdom but God's, has nothing to say. It is the only wisdom in town. (laughs) How easily we retreat, thinking that our wisdom cannot grapple with the complex issues of our age, but Lady Wisdom will have none of that. She is right there at the highest point of the city, calling people to come. Third, verse four, she offers a place for those who know they need a place. Verse four, let all who are simple come in here. And she says to those who lack judgment. I don't know about you, but I reckon one of the greatest follies of human life is to think you know uh, when you don't. To think you've got a subject cornered when you're actually clueless. I remember years ago when I was uh, going, it was in youth group, uh, on one particular camp they decided, uh, there we were in one of the uh, uh, later years of secondary school, that they get all the guys together and all the girls together in separate rooms and they would explain to the guys how to, how to treat women. It seemed a good thing to do to 16-year-old guys. And so there we were in this room, all huddled together, waiting for the wisdom to come from this older guy who was going to be teaching us that day. And just before he started, Dan, who was in my year group, uh, piped up with this. He says, I'm not sure why I need to be here. I understand women completely. (laughs) Uh, To which this old saint looked him square in the eyes and said, Dan, you are either a fool or a liar. And I reckon we do that so often in life, don't we? We think we know, but we don't. Wisdom calls to those who live life and think, you know what, I don't get this. And it's got nothing to do with intellectual capacity. It's to do with a lack of wisdom to live life well. We can't join the dots. It, it doesn't straighten out for us. Those who wish life was different, those who wish life was more full, more satisfying, it made more sense than it does. 
It's actually the same call that Jesus makes in Matthew 11. He says, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Learn of me. It's a call to the simple. Come and understand life. It's a call to the weary. Come and rest. It's a call to the heavy laden. Come and find one who can actually carry the weight of what you're trying to hold yourself. And it's too much for you. And when we accept this invitation, you see here we're beckoned in. Come in, feast, be satisfied. Verse 5, come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Now let me highlight just two things about this meal that wisdom offers. Firstly, it's rich. You see that? The finest meat and wines are on offer. Verse 2 says that. There's nothing drab about wisdom's hospitality. Nothing's been held back. And again, doesn't that counter the cultural perception of the Christian life? Uh, We must stop portraying or perhaps accepting the portrayal that the Christian life is a a drab life, a staid life, a dull life. No, this is life to the full. Life according to the master chef. Life lived to the sound of the voice of the one who made everything. It's a life that is full of delights when lived with him, enjoyed in the goodness that they were designed for. You cannot enjoy anything in life fully outside of wisdom's house. You cannot have satisfying work outside of wisdom's house. You cannot have satisfying sex outside of wisdom's house. There is nothing in this world that can be enjoyed fully outside of wisdom. The meal wisdom offers is satisfying. Especially when you think of what makes a meal good. I don't know about you what your absolute favourite highlight meals have been over the years, but I reckon the best meals I've had are the ones I've had with people I love. It's who's there that makes a meal, isn't it? And that's true here. You are being offered the opportunity to sit at table with your God as you open his word. He is face to face with you in fellowship. What wisdom offers here is not some lonely meal in a shopping mall food court, but sitting at table with one who loves you more than anyone in the universe. You remember how wisdom makes that offer? It is through this word revealed. The call to open the word of God is the call to have table fellowship with your God. We're meeting with him, feasting on all he is to us. It's a rich meal. But secondly, it's a purposeful meal. Have a look at verse 5 and 6. Come and eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. I like to think of these two verses. It's almost like he's offering us a three-course meal. Firstly, what we've already seen is to savour wisdom. Savouring Jesus, savouring all he is to us. And when you open the word, uh, that's that's my call to you. Look to savour him. As you would when you're sitting down with the choicest meals. Yeah, I don't know what your favourite sort of meal is. Mine is bangers and mash. It's quite simple, but it's my favourite. And what makes a meal like that so good is lashings of gravy on top. And I reckon when you, when you have a meal like that, what you want to do is you want to make sure that you, you use the mash perfectly to make sure there's not even a molecule of gravy left on the plate. You want to savour every bit of it. Well, let me encourage you when you open the word, that is what we're being called to do. Savour your God and his promises Savour his son, taste and see that the Lord is good. Savour wisdom, but here's the second course, abandon folly. When you taste and see how good he is, how good his word of promise is to you, it should lead you to leave aside your foolish ways. That's what we're being told to do here. Leave them aside. Your self-important, self-sufficient plans, leave them behind. You'll only do that if you savour first. 
And the third course, savour wisdom, abandon folly, finally follow wisdom, verse 6. Do you see why? Do you see where his voice is leading? Life and life to the full. The more we hear and heed this invitation of wisdom, the more we sit at table with him, the more we will come to life. And so there's the house that wisdom builds. Uh, Secondly, and more briefly, let's look at the house that folly builds in verses 13 to 18 that she calls us to come to. You see, wisdom is not the only voice in the city calling us, is it? Remember who folly is? The hostess that we see here in verses 13 to 18. She's the one who lives in this world as if there's no God. Lives as if life and breath and everything else are gifts that we've given ourselves And here she is, verse 13, she's calling us. And do you see her call? We're told it's loud. It's the dominant voice around us, loud and proud and everywhere. Every time we switch on the television or the web or or attend educational institutions or our governments or communities or schools, music, you name it, Lady Folly is shouting loudly at us with her take on life. She's loud. Secondly, she's undisciplined, or more literally, she's simple. She's just like us. Uh, Other translations uh, translate that word gullible. She's naive. Oh, she talks loud, but she's clueless, just like us. And yet, as one translator puts it, she's seductive. And I reckon the reason she's seductive is she sounds like us. Her words make sense to us because it's the way we think, it's what we want. And so what she offers sounds convincing. But her call, verse 13, is without knowledge. It's the counsel of a fool. It's man-made wisdom that knows no more of life than we do. But like wisdom, you see, verse 14, she offers us a place to live. She sits at the door of her house. She's like some uh, hostess outside a restaurant with sort of garish pictures of her wares slouched in her seat seductively, beckoning, come hither. We're not told much about her house, and I suspect that's deliberate. It's the way she likes it. She likes things to be secret and unknown. It adds to the appeal. But secondly, verse 14, she too offers a place for everyone. Do you see it there? She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Again, like Lady Wisdom, she's positioned herself in the heart of things, sitting there on her chair at the highest point of the city. And what's interesting is that Wisdom had to go to that point. Wisdom had to go to the heart of the city, had to send the maids there. But, well, Folly lives there. Doesn't have to go anywhere, just sits outside her house. Her house is at the heart of the city, the heart of its culture. And she calls there at the heart of things for more to come and join this godless project of making a name for ourselves. And so we must see the voice of folly is the loud, dominant voice at the centre stage of our culture. It's the voice of the materialist calling us to live for stuff. The voice of the sensualist calling us to live for pleasure. The voice of the environmentalist calling us to live for planet Earth. The voice of the power is calling us to live for power or position. And even the voice of the spiritualist calling us to live for religion. She's shouting loudly, seductively, knowledgeless words, come. Uh, Which begs the question, doesn't it? Why would we heed her call? Why is it so attractive to us? Well, first, as I've already suggested, it is because she speaks our language. She says what we already think and want. But here's another reason her invite is so appealing. 
Uh, she too is offering a place to those who know their need. Uh, she's appealing also to our deepest longings, our desire to live well, to make sense of life, to be satisfied. She's slouched in her seat, beckoning, offering those very things that we most want. Verse 16, she says, let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. The same appeal, isn't it? Come find meaning, find rest, find fulfillment. It's here. And when we accept the invitation, we are again, verse 17, beckoned in the door for a meal with the promise of satisfaction. And her meal, do you see it there, verse 17? Sweet, stolen water. Delicious, secret food. It's not the quality of the food that's attractive this time, unlike wisdom. Here, it's just bread and water. And our culture, again, would argue it the other way, wouldn't it? Wisdom, that is, the gospel offers a staid, boring life and folly offers a full, exciting life. No, it's the other way around. But in the end, folly has so little to offer that she has to twist the offer, doesn't she? To spice things up a bit, to, to make the attraction of her party a little bit more. So she offers the illicit, the forbidden, the dark, the secret. And isn't that the voice that we hear so often in our world? She's the voice that offers us new knowledge, new experiences. I mean, even my children, my son Finn, uh, has come back a number of times in this last year talking about uh, waiting in line for for something at school and overhearing conversations ahead of him, things that uh, are far beyond his age, sexual things, and he's tempted by them, intrigued by them, captivating world that's out there that he knows nothing of. It's a bigger, more colourful world. How tempting that is. That's folly calling. She's the voice even to parents in the school community offering a new success. Parents in a school community hearing other parents, uh, what they're doing for the future of their children, all they're doing to make sure of it, how tempting that is, how, how it plays on our insecurities and our fears that our children will miss out. Come, says Folly. And she is the voice offering new material well-being, more comfort, more nice things, just a little bit more. You see, one of the tricks that Folly turns is to try and convince us that What God wants for us is to be miserable. All he offers you is the banal, the restricted, the small life. Folly's offering you unchecked life. Folly's offering freedom. It's the voice that whispered first in Eden. You remember it? The man and the woman with this spectacularly good garden to enjoy with their God. And there is Satan. Folly himself offering this forbidden fruit. I promise it's sweeter. But it's a lie, it's a cruel lie. The voice of folly takes our deepest longings and it twists them and offers up pale substitutes. Dress them up all you like, this meal is just bread and water. Proverbs 9 is a call to see the difference between these two offers. Wisdom offers rich wine and meat. Sitting at table with her, that's what it offers. Wisdom, that is Jesus, offers the best of life. It is as it was. You remember his first earthly miracle? You remember it? there he was at a, a wedding in Cana of Galilee and there near the end of the party as the wine has run out, he turns water to wine and the, the waiter says, you've saved the best for last. That's what Jesus does. He turns water to wine. He gives us the best. Folly's trick, the opposite. Turn wine to water. Folly offers you the best, but it doesn't satisfy and it leaves you all the more hungry and her only response, well, just eat more. 
And see this as well as we come towards a close. See where these invitations lead. You remember wisdom's call back in verses five and six, come and eat and drink and what? Live. We'll see the alternative, verse 18, come and eat and drink and verse 18, but little do they know the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of the grave. It's a big end, isn't it, to the passage. What a picture, a nightmarish scene. You're finally convinced by folly, you enter in, you have this meal and it leaves you hungry and disappointed and you look around at all of those who have supped before you there at that table and they are lying dead on the floor. And here's why. Did you see what was missing in folly's invite? It sounded so much like wisdom, didn't it? But verse six was missing. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Well, folly makes no such call on us. You don't have to abandon anything. Any of your simple, self-important, self-sufficient, self-satisfying ways, you can have them all. She'll ask nothing of you. She'll, in fact, just shout louder, calling you to pursue those things, promising through lying teeth to you that such fruit is sweet. And what a tempting invite it is. Carry on. Carry on as you were. No trace of repentance. So easy to live there, isn't it? But it is foolish. It is as Proverbs 16.25 declares, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. It is a truth that has played out each and every day in our city, both personally and in the public square. I mean, take just one example from this past week. Have you seen uh, in the news uh, this week the desperate government attempts to filter pornography out of the internet as if that could happen? You could just get rid of it altogether. Just 10 years ago, pornography was championed in our culture. We're freedom people. We should be free to have these things. It was championed and laughed at in media and popular TV shows. We wanted to be free to feast on it. Now, 10 years on, we are desperate, having seen the effects of it, desperate to walk this Trojan horse back out of the city, but it won't leave. This thing that offered freedom and new experiences is enslaving generations of men and subjecting women perhaps more than they ever have in history. Stolen water is sweet, she said. Food eaten in secret is delicious. Well, there's a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to death. Wisdom knows this. It is why he came to rescue us from ourselves. Here in the midst of the horrific effects of our own folly, wisdom has prepared a meal and it cost him his life. He is, as Martin Luther says, he is our meat and drink indeed. He is our satisfaction, our forgiveness, our rescue from our own foolish selves, our way back to life and life to the full. And so long may wisdom stand in this city and call any who would listen away from folly, come in, eat my food, leave your simple ways and live. Well, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for your wisdom revealed to us in your word by your spirit. And we thank you for the heart of that wisdom, your son and your son on a cross, saving us from ourselves. Father God, uh, help us to be humble, uh, to be wise before you. Uh, Give us wisdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.